Hello and welcome to The Politics of Peterborough, the podcast where we chat with the people who have been elected to make decisions about our city and those who try to influence them. I'm your host, Dave Adcock, and our guest this month had so much to say that we've had to split the conversation into two parts. Before we get into part one, I can confirm that our guest for September's episode will be Peterborough MP Paul Bristow, and in October we'll be sitting down with the leader of the Conservative group and head of the council, Councillor Wayne Fitzgerald. If you have any questions that you'd like me to put to either of them, or topics you'd like us to discuss, then send a tweet using the hashtag politicspeterborough, or send us an email to politics.peterborough at hotmail.com. On with the show. Our guest for this episode is an award-winning campaigner, writer and communication coach with a particular advocacy of disabled people's rights. She's written for the Charity Times magazine and BBC Online and has previously been named Brighton University Alumnus of the Year. She's the author of Get Your Public Speaking Mojo Back Forever and in 2018 was elected as Peterborough City Councillor for the Orton Waterbill Ward. Councillor Julie Stevenson, welcome to the politics of Peterborough. Hello. So you were born in Hampshire and started your career as an assistant librarian at City and Islington College in London. How did you end up in Peterborough? I've been in Peterborough in two stints. I first came here in 1990, sorry, 2003, 2003. So I started working for the Royal National Institute for Blind People in London in 1994. And then in 2003, sort of by way of a redundancy stroke promotion, as it turned out, I was given the opportunity to move to Peterborough. And I'd been coming up to Peterborough because RNIB has a uh, headquarters in Peterborough, at Orton Southgate, in fact, um, quite a bit over the, the previous years. And I got to know the staff up here and got to know Peterborough. And it just seemed like a, a lovely place to live and um, very pro uh, disabled people. And my boss uh, at the time, who was blind, um, said to me, you know, come to Peterborough, it's, m- your money will go further, I think he said. Um, you know, it's a great place to live. And I thought about it for five minutes uh, and then decided I'm going to go for this and see what happens. So that was in um, 2003 and I had to move back down south for about six or seven years since then uh, for work. Um, but I moved back up here um, in 2015, which was following a very um, dark period in mine and my now husband's lives. Um, I basically lost lost everything because he had a very bad accident as a result of uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress, following a her. her, her horrific incident uh, so I had to sort of look after him and in so doing I couldn't work and I then couldn't pay my mortgage and I had to sell my house in the end or, or lose it so I came back to Peterborough uh, when he had the opportunity to work up in Camborne which is quite near Cambridge um, again as he had previously and Peterborough was a place I had good feelings about and felt felt kind of safe here so I said to him you know could we move back up to Peterborough um, and I ended up sort of long story short around today because I decided when I came back here I was so grateful to feel safe after the experiences we just had I just made um, an intention um, to give back to Peterborough that was literally it and then I just said yes to what followed and here we are now it was within what a couple of years that you uh well, less than that was it a year that you were then on the the parish council well we we Decided that in 2015, I would have a rest for a year because just everything had been so stressful. 
Um, and my partner had been very severely injured um, and it, it took a while for him to get better and him to get on his feet and be working again. So I was exhausted by this point. Um, I also, I have multiple sclerosis, so I, I was exhausted already. <laughs> um, so it's just added to it, really. And there was just a twist of fate. Um, a, letter, a, a flyer came through the door in 2015 in about April 2015 for um, from the parish council saying, could you be a parish councillor? Uh, and my husband saw it and said, oh, you should do this. It won't be too demanding on you. Um, so I thought, oh, well, I'll, I'll apply. It turned out I was the only one that applied from, from that leaflet anyway. Um, so I applied for that and um, started work as parish councillor. But I, I think what you'll find, I mean, you read out some of the things I'd, I'd done in the past at the beginning, um, what you will find is I kind of, you know, I grow into the role or the role expands as my being in it kind of it expands. Um, so I started to get to know residents uh, pretty quickly. Anyway, six months after I joined Parish Council, a new Parish Councillor joined called Alex. And um, when I first joined, no one spoke to me and it was not very sociable sort of place I mean that's not what it's there for it's not a social club but I thought oh I you know I'd like him to feel welcome so I fatefully emailed him and said do you want to go for a coffee and we did and he mentioned that he was um a member of the Green Party and I just thought you know weirdo I mean he was into art had a ponytail and rode a bicycle so what did I expect but um I thought nothing more of that um fast forward to um March, the end of March um, 2016, and I got an email from Alex saying, oh, Julie, there's local elections coming up in a month's time and we don't have anybody to stand for the Green Party. Uh, we feel it's really important that there's a Green Party candidate on the ballot paper for democracy. Otherwise, Green voters will probably stay at home and not vote, and that's a huge shame. Would you be interested in doing it? No chance of winning, blah, blah. And I thought, well, this was like my move to Peterborough that I mentioned earlier. I, th I thought about it for about 30 seconds and thought, well, that sounds, you know, what's the harm? What's the worst that can happen? Sounds like a fun thing to do, like a bucket list thing. You know, I never considered it before. Other people had suggested it, but I never considered it. Um, and never had any desire to do it. But I thought, why not? And they're not, they seem to be nice people. And what I usually do is I give something three months. And if it's not working for me, I just stop it. So I've had businesses I've started up and have jacked in after three months. If they're not um, not really viable, or I'm not enjoying it or whatever. So I thought, right, OK, let's do it. And just as an experiment, um, I, I put out one leaflet. Anyway, we only had you know four weeks before the election. Anyway, the result was not was what it what was expected. So it was an all out. So all three seats were up an all out election, as they say. And um, the Conservatives, the three Conservative incumbents, retained their seat, which was the expectation. And second came UKIP. But what was extremely surprising was that I was fourth. Um, so well, fifth candidate wise. Um, and not by very much. I was only within about 50 votes or so of UKIP. And UKIP, that might sound weird by today's standards, but UKIP were really um, scoring a lot of votes back in those days, different days. Um, and I thought, oh, goodness me. So after this, um, I went, I had a meeting with the local Green Party and said, look, it looks like, you know, we this was just under 9% of the vote. We usually get about three, three or four um, at best. And so it felt like, I said, it feels like the residents want me to go for it. So perhaps it's my duty to do that for them. Also, on the day of the election, people were coming up to me in the street and saying stuff. And it was weird because I wasn't expecting it at all. I thought, oh, gosh, 
have I set an expectation here that I might stand properly? So I had a chat with the Green Party and we decided yes. Now, the Green Party had never had um, a Green Council in this city. Lots of reasons, but principally, I mean, it, for me, my background is campaigning and I just looked at it and thought, yeah, the problem here is you, you haven't had the right sort of person with the right avail- availability. Those are the things. And in order to do this, so we were two years away from the 2018 elections. I would need to commit to doing this and nothing else at all every day. So I I said, I will do that if you want me to do that. And I wrote a 22-month campaign. And I stuck to that campaign every single day for those 22 months, um, right through all the months where we were nowhere near an election, um, all the times when it's snowing and freezing cold. and But those are the days you're earning your votes. Um, and in 2018, I was elected with um, 50% of the votes, and uh, and here we are. Now, before you came to that, you also stood uh, for the mayoral position for the combined authority. Was that a very different experience, obviously a much wider campaign? So in the, it was 2016 when I first stood for the Greens as a so-called paper candidate and then decided I was going to stand make a proper fist of it in 2018. And in the middle, you've got this 2017 mayoral um, election. So the higher-ups in the Green Party approached me. Um, So in the Green Party, we have um, politicians and volunteers um, who are not paid. And then you've got people who are paid to sort of run the party. And there's people who are paid to run the party who came to me and said, would you be interested? And um, I thought, here we go again. Um, and we talked about it a lot. Thing is, that was really that election turned out to be not what was expected. Um, it was far more demanding and had far more uh, attention than was expected. And I think the caliber that was expected was different because I think the Greens thought it was going to be like the Police and Crime Commissioner, where frankly no one's really interested and. You know, you stand and nothing much happens. Oh, my goodness, no. The attention on me during that was massive. Um, very stressful uh, because I'd agreed to do it, as again, as a favour to the Greens. I had no aspiration to be mayor and no hope of winning at all for that kind of position. Um, and it was a learning experience, so that was good, but it was very challenging. It was a much, much bigger area. But we ha- we just, again... We first of all, we managed to raise our deposit, which is £5,000, which meant we kept that money and we were able to share it out between, I think it's the six uh, green parties around um, the county, around the combined authority area. And then when it came to the result, it's a shame in a way that we don't know the full result because you don't get to know that if you're knocked out at the first stage. But in the first stage, I scored over um, 12,000 votes. And I think had we been able to count the first, um, the second preferences, I think it would have been huge because the vote that I got was what Ladbrokes or other betting organisations were predicting. And they were predicting me coming in second. And I think an awful lot of people would have put who they thought could win for first vote and who they might have wanted to win um, for second vote. Um, And it just wasn't expected by us to get that much. There was an uplift um, in Peterborough, um, for sure, but also it was all around. It was south of Cambridgeshire, I think, is where the most votes came in. But that was absolutely huge. I just remember at that election just kind of laughing. (laughs) 
uh, you know, my goodness, there's something's happening here. And it made me think, wow, perhaps, you know, the idea of, um, because everyone kept telling me, oh, you'll never be elected. I, said, I don't mean the Greens, I mean everybody else. You'll never be elected to city council and Peterborough, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, I, and it started then, when we got that result from the mayoral, it started to look like something was happening, something was changing. So I'm glad in hindsight that I did it. But I was also very unwell at that time. I had an infection and they're in trouble treating it and everything. It was just unfortunate. It was a very stressful time, but it was definitely part of the journey that took me to here. Did it inspire you to do it again in no. a, a, as an MP or it put you off? No, absolutely not. As I said at, at the start, I've got no political aspiration at all. I came here off the back of a personal tragedy um, in my life and just wanted to help Peterborough. That's the start and end of it, really. Um, I, what I've discovered on these past seven years is that people have an expectation that I have a political ambition and I don't. I don't. It's, I, it is as I've just told you. Um, it's just my personal circumstances. Another a question that people often ask me is, do I enjoy this? The answer is no, I do not which often has people gasping. I said, you know, it's not about enjoyment, it's public service. To me, it's public service and therefore it's worthwhile. It is a worthwhile use of my time uh, doing this stuff. It helps people. I, I'm very fortunate in my life. Oh, to me, it's a fortunate thing. I've helped many thousands of people in different ways uh, doing the things that I've done. And now I'm still helping people that's on a, a more challenging level in a way, because I'm used to working kind of globally with the things I do. And now this is very concentrated. This is white of your eyes stuff. People in my street, you know, if I leave the house, it's a political act because people see me, what's she doing? You know, ends up on Twitter and whatever. Um, but I, I no, I mean, uh, to strip it right back, you know, I have multiple sclerosis and I'm now 51. Uh, my grandma had MS and she died at 55. So um, I know how tough this is being a city councillor. Um, I do feel, you know, I make I, I make it tough for myself by wanting to do it to the best of my ability. And I'm the same with all things like that. It's funny, actually, I'm a fellow of the um, Royal Society of Arts Um and commerce and I was at one of their events before just before I came up to Peterborough again uh, and a lady there said to me um, you know who who would you be without all of your past accolades who are you if you're don't tell anyone what your background is and, and all of that turns out I'm this <laughs> so it, it just seems to me I cannot I'm very much an all or nothing sort of person if I'm going to go for it I will go for it massively or not at all and with the MP thing the trouble is would, would I could I be a good MP or I would like to think so I think though that the um process of that of going on that journey would, would be exhausting for me and I would struggle um with my health because of that and I'm older as well so I have the advantage of um of you know of uh, having lots of years ahead of me um, anymore or, or useful years that's just the way it is um, and I'm just not driven that way and I also quite like I said this on Twitter recently and people seem to like it I quite like just being here for people and they know I'm not going to run off chasing an ambition there's nothing wrong with that but I think it's quite nice that people have had the luxury if I can put it that way having me here in the community for seven years I know every street in this city and this ward. I, I pretty much, 
you know, I know many, many people. I like to know problems before people come to me with them and be ready with a solution for them. I, I like that. I think people deserve that and that's what they feel they're, they're voting for. So as unusual as it may be, I'm happy at this level. Now, the, the 2016 result, as you said, was one of the best that the Greens had had to that point. Um, obviously, you spent nearly two years after that uh, campaigning with the aim of getting elected in 2018. <clears throat> Did you go into that count confident of a victory? Did, was there a sense that you'd had during those those two years that something was building? Mm. I sauntered in nonchalantly because the sat nav took us to the wrong place. I was about an hour late coming in. So everyone was always really relaxed about the whole thing. No, we just got lost. Um, so, we, so it was kind of part way through by the time I got in there. So my team were telling me what was going on. So I already knew. The, the, the thing is, though, these days you, you kind of know the result, or you should, by the time the postal votes are out. Um, because after, I think we might be around the 50% mark for postal votes in Alton Waterfield, not sure about that. It's a lot anyway. And once you're door knocking after postal votes have landed on the doormat, you're usually told. You knock on the door and they say, hello, Julie. Or now they don't even open the door, they yell out the window. <laughs> hello, Julie, I voted for you. And um, that was just happening over and over again. And that there was a definite vibe. There was a sense in uh, 2016 of change, people wanting change and an excitement, people wanting to get behind me, but people being a bit scared. So it, it kind of went from at the beginning of the campaign, people literally laughing in my face and being quite rude. That's to be expected. You know, you're new and you haven't come across be born. I think your party is a bit weird. Um, so I understand that. Then it, it, it started changing and then it, the rhetoric amongst residents changed to you better win <laughs> you know because there's this feeling that um people like to vote for winners and so i was very i was confident about a month out well i was, I was you never know but i was you know that feeling of oh could could we win this i was confident about the possibility we could about a month out um but what we really needed to do was to build a good foundation for any Greens that were to follow. And, of course, Councillor Day and then Councillor Knight um, followed. Um, so it's very different. Obviously, I've been through two election cycles for myself now and seen it from a different side. But really, um, no election should be close unless you've got really good candidates. If you're, you, you should be fighting your election campaign the way I did, a long way out, and then once you're elected all the time, so that you've got a constant sense of how people feel about you. Uh, and then your role then is just to make sure they remember to vote. It's getting getting the vote out on the day for people who vote in person uh, and just wandering around on the streets that day and as people see you and go, oh, I need to go and vote. And if, that, that sort of thing is, is important. So I had dreams about it in 2016. Um, I just, I didn't know because you don't dare, you don't want to get complacent. And it's very emotional when it gets past 10 p.m. on election day because you just want to knock one more door or put one more leaflet through. You can't bear that you can't do anymore and suddenly all that's taken away from you. And I felt when I knew I'd won, all I wanted to do was put leaflets through doors because of that security because I've been doing that for two years and then suddenly 
my status had changed in a way I wasn't prepared for or didn't know what to expect because I was constantly getting that feedback, you know, you will never win here, Green's will never win here. And I just put my blinkers on and kept going. So, yeah, it's, it's exhilarating, but not for everybody, I'm sure. Do you think that if you get the right candidate, people would vote for them regardless of the party they're standing for? Or do you think you'll always get people that will vote for the party regardless of who it is that's standing for them? You will always get a hardcore um, of people who will vote. They'll either vote for their party or they won't vote. And I think what was interesting this year um, with my vote was that the, the gap by which I won was interesting because I thought the Conservative vote, for example, in Orton, uh, Waterville, I thought that had a baseline of 800, but it was only just over 500. What happened there? So... I I think some of their voters stayed at home. So for some people, some people would never vote then hold their nose and vote for me as a green. Some people never would. Um because and I can understand it, they vote for the party that they've always you know, traditionally um, believed in. That's why our success here, which I think is really kind of um underrated to get people voting green here to the extent that we've, we've succeeded is an incredible um, achievement because getting you, you to getting people to change how they vote when they voted for the same party all their lives and maybe they're in their 70s, that's huge. Getting that kind of behavioural change is huge. It's just not discussed enough and why that came about. And I hear all, I heard, I still hear all kinds of rubbish about how we did that, how we did it was through visibility, hard work all year round, giving people what they want and raising their expectation about what a councillor is there to do. Because many people in this ward had no idea what a councillor was there to do until we came and showed people very clearly, both through being visible and through communication. Um, one of the um, the winning aspects of our campaign was um, there's an, uh, a newsletter I created called Autumn News. The Greens continue with that. I now do Autumn Observer. Um, and it just communicates with people in the right way because I, I still... I always assumed that once I was successful, other parties would copy our formula because it's there in the open. Hasn't happened. And I, I see the literature put out by the parties and think, that's not what people want. Can't you see? What they want is what we've done and they will tell you. And what I found extraordinary is um, we often get complaints about our leaflets, um, complaints when people don't get them. So usually you would think, oh, people don't want this rubbish put through their door. No, no, no. If someone doesn't didn't get their Orton news, they'd be complaining. And I thought, what have we done? What have we done here? We've We've plugged a gap we've given people what they want and i think you know have we created a monster there i mean probably because as you'll hear sometimes in other parts of the city particularly in north of the river where there aren't any greens for example um oh you know it's, it's a joke they'll never get elected like hello speak to people in Orton waterville it's because we've given the people who live here what they want um could that, that happened to be the greens it could be independence, it could, it could be any party, but that, that's the formula. And the formula it starts with hard work, visibility, communication. Now, in your book, you state that, quote, 
stay where you feel comfortable too long and you'll eventually begin to feel restricted. Mm. Had you begun to feel too comfortable within the Green Party? Well, well growth is, is, is painful. I was thinking about this earlier today. You know, growth is painful and becoming an independent, splitting away from them is painful. I, I'm in pain now from it. Uh, it will get better over time. Um, it wasn't that I was. It wasn't that I was comfortable. I think they were too comfortable, so I needed to go. It's a bit like the mentoring relationship. So I, I've mentored young people through the university I used to attend, and also professionally as a confidence coach. And you get to a point where you see that you've done your job and you're not needed anymore, and that's when they're kind of not listening to you anymore and kind of, you know, almost a bit resentful, like teenagers. And it was, I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but it was getting like that. Um, It was kind of a given that I was going to do all that was needed to win this campaign all on my own without any support and they would do what they wanted to do. And I, okay, but, you know, what does this mean? And I I sort of thought about it because... When I won, so that that night when I won um, this year in in 2022, I I was frustrated because I'd set to, um, well, obviously to win was one of the goals, Um, but I also wanted to um, win over um, 2,000 votes and I got 1,907 or 17 or something. I was fuming. And um, I went up on the stage for the um, declaration and Matt Gladstone, who is the CEO of the City Council, said, what a wedding present for you because I was just about to get married. Um, you know, you must be so pleased. And I said, no, I wanted 2,000 votes and I didn't get them. And, and he said, well, but this is the highest result of the night. This, I haven't read out a bigger number than this. And this was at two o'clock in the morning. I had to wait four hours for my results. And I was, suddenly I was like, yay, can't believe it. And then, then I was, you know, excited to do that. And it was also the biggest majority of the night as well as the biggest vote, which is, which is incredible. It's just incredible. I wouldn't have thought to set those metrics. And they were just incredible. But th- there was no kind of thank you from the Green Party. There was no well done. There was no... Not even a bunch of flowers. There was nothing, and I thought, well, you know, I feel this is probably the time when I need to slip quietly away, if it's possible to do that in, in political terms. I came here to help them get started, and now look at them. They're so they're so caught up with what they want to achieve. They don't need me anymore, and as much as I could keep. Just I could just have stayed there and kept going, and I, uh, I just felt, you know, I'd given by that time six years to the Green Party and quite a lot of money um, as well, and that's enough. I thought that's enough. If I stayed with them for another six and we didn't move forward, how am I going to feel about that? Perhaps now is the time to make the move. When I'm getting married and coming out with a different surname anyway, that was in my head as well. I thought two changes at once um, are better than doing them both separately. I knew at some time I'd have to leave. So it's, it's, it's difficult. It was, it was a difficult decision. It's painful now, as I say, because what have I done? Given myself a demotion, a drop in pay or a drop in allowance, um, and I'm completely on my own. <laughs> And without a team that I've had for six years. So that's, you know, that's tough. 
but I still think it was the right thing to do and I wouldn't change it. I think it's right for the greens and they are flying. Look at those two. Well, it's three of them now. So I've been replaced already. Um, they're flying and that's wonderful and that's why I did this stuff and that's what you have to remember. And back when I used to be campaigning for RNIB, I used to say then, you know, the point of me is that when I've achieved, I'm really trying to make myself redundant or put myself out of a job because when I've achieved what I'm trying to achieve here, I will move on to the next thing and move on to the next thing. I don't just stay here and reflect in you know, the glory of it. I move on to the next thing. So I'm used to doing that. And I've come to realise that that campaigner's mindset is quite unusual. Perhaps other people might feel, oh, just stay. You know, you've earned a bit of a rest. Just stay where you are and, you know, it'll be fine. That's uh, not good enough for me. Um, but I think the right thing to do, although they may not feel it now at the moment because it's new and it's growth and it's changed and it's painful, I think the right thing to do was to go when I did. And over the next couple of years, I hope that you will see that and the greens will grow and grow and flourish. I want them to succeed. The worst thing for me would be if they didn't because that means my six years spent with them wasn't a good use of my time. So fingers crossed and good luck to them. Does part of you wish that you had done it before the election and had stood as an independent rather than standing as a Green and then stepping down within weeks? Well, the reason that I stood um, as a Green was because in my mind, that was my last promise to them. So, I, you know, I got the first um, elected Green and then the second one and the third one, I had a Green ward, we set up a Green group, we got a Green office at the town hall we hadn't had up until that point. Um, and then the final um, goal for me was to get the first Green re-election and to put Councillor Day in a really strong position uh, because the gap is so large. And, you know, I, I certainly um, achieved that. So from my point of view, I'd done those things. There weren't there weren't any more challenges for me um, at that point. The other thing I would add is that things have changed a lot at the Green Party over the past six years. And when I was first in, there were different people involved and I had different sort of mentors and cheerleaders. They've all moved on doing other things. I was kind of, I found myself being the longest serving member of peace for a Green Party committee. And that can't be right for someone who came in just as a favour rather than being a, a, a committed um, compassionate green. Um, I can see, the thing is, there's no right time. There's a least worst time, I think. And as I say, I, I delayed my wedding. People want to, you know, ask about commitment. I delayed my wedding until after the election so that my name would be consistent on the ballot paper. Um, and I've done enough. I've done enough. And as I said before, my feeling is doing those two changes at once were was the right thing to do rather than do two. And also it gives a big gap between myself and Council Day's next election. They'll all have forgotten me by then. Probably. Um, but there's no right time because we're in this cycle of elections every year. When is the right time to do such a thing? Though, um, what I have done is I put a leaflet round um, to all our households. It's going round still at the moment, asking that question. And I've said quite openly, if you want me to go, I'll go. If you feel like I've done something wrong by doing this or underhand or whatever. I mean, some people have said, some people really don't know that's the backstory. have said, oh, you've used the Green Party to get re-elected other way around you know no no I haven't but if residents of this ward want me to go then I will go and I have said so nothing has come back saying that 
quite the opposite. I've had people say they're more comfortable with me as an independent. Uh, just before uh, my decision, just when I was thinking about it, I thought about it over my um, honeymoon. And also, of course, I was door knocking during the Rancti election. Residents, some residents were saying to me, we'd prefer it if you're an independent. So I was getting getting that vibe. So that all fed into it. But I, the, the trouble is, I don't think there's a right time to do that sort of thing. And honestly, to be, to be blunt, I think if I stood as an independent, I might have polled more. Because I know there are still some people who cannot vote, cannot stomach, cannot hold their noses to vote green. So I think what I've got here is, is a lot to do with me as a person rather than the party. And I've always made that clear to residents here. Um, Nicola um, Day, Councillor Day, is the green here. I was here to help. I was here to hold back that curtain so that they could come through. Um, and I just also find it a bit disingenuous to continue when I'm not a real green. Um, the party has no problem with people not being greens. I'd never voted green in my life until I voted for myself in 2016. Never had. I couldn't wouldn't have dreamt of doing it What's more. But, you know, that this is how life has gone. So, you know, um, what I do find interesting um, is... When I went independent, the piece of our telegraph said, oh, I should stand for re-election. And yet Councillor Skibstead has gone from Labour to Green. And that's not been said about her, which I think is possibly, maybe I've got a larger profile. Maybe it's because I was a group leader before as well. But that's a bit inconsistent. <laughs> what am I being picked on? You know, um, the, the elections are likely to go, I'm sure we'll talk about, to all outs fairly soon. So if people want rid of me, they'll have their chance. Are you still on good terms with your former colleagues in the Green Party? They, they haven't spoken to me at all. Not at all? So I don't know if that means we're on good terms or not. Um, within the um, bounds of a meeting, because obviously we're on in some meetings together, um, but as I was saying previously, they hadn't really spoken to me for months anyway. They didn't come out on my campaign, not with me. Um, they were doing their other things, which they do need to do because we had other candidates and we need to, you know, the, that party needs to grow. Um, but they're off doing that. You know, if I have a choice, would I want them still talking to me and doing nothing or doing everything they can to hold on to their seats? I'd want the latter and that's what they're doing. So that's the reality. The thing about politics, people might find strange is we're not friends. Um, it's not even like work colleagues because when you leave work, you might get have a living drinks and you know a present or um, like a bunch of flowers or a card or something. Well, it was none of that. Uh, I had no no response to me at all. In fact, um, it was a bit that it doesn't come over too strong, but I felt like I'd left a cult without knowing I was in a cult, and I don't think I was in a cult. But that sudden absolute the shutters went down from the, the National Party as well. Um, no interest. I offered to do an exit interview, tell them about my experiences. They were not interested in it at all. Um, so that's, that's a bit weird. Um, I will just put it down to them getting on with it, and which they are doing. They're working really hard, Councillor Day and Councillor Knight, which is what I would want to see. But it's... It's a funny old business politics. It's not. It's not friendly. And look at how, for example, Councillor Sib said one minute is in Labour and now is is in uh, the Greens. One thing I would add, I think, is a challenge for the Greens, is that they've got three city councillors, two of whom are ex-Labour. This is not a Labour 
area at all. Um, so that's kind of interesting, yet people are pointing the finger at me, the independent. I've not gone to another party. Um, so there we are, you know, I'll just put it down to them being being busy. <laughs> we weren't friends before. I don't see why we should be friends afterwards. So we were just in the same political party together. Does that make it easier for you, in a sense, the completely clean break? I changed a lot at once, all at once, because I got, you know, I got married in May. I got married three weeks after the election. So my past year has been totally taken up with election and wedding. But although we eloped, so it was just he and I, but there was still a lot um, to do. It's, n- it's not clean. And it wouldn't be clean any way I did it. Because any way I did it, someone would have something to say about my motivation, uh, just as they have all along in this. And I had people used to say, well, then people still say, well, you use the parish council to get elected. No, I didn't. And I've gone and checked with the chair and the clerk several times that that, that statement. So, have I been using you at any point? And they said no. Um, so people will say what people say. People only ever know part of the picture, I suppose, they get from social media or the media. Um, I, I just think it's impossible. I think I've made the right decision and I've just got to just keep going that's what my residents want me to do and that's my motivation for keeping going I have considered um I have considered you know completely resigning that's been on the table because if people feel that I should then I would I'll just go and get a job and you know (laughs) have some money um and 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 do that but people the, the thing that drives me is that residents here I get every day overwhelming messages from residents as I have been fortunate to get for the past six or seven years about the difference I make here. I put something up today on my social media page, if you've seen it, about shall I put up, um, joint would it be helpful if I put up the planning applications every Monday? And the response that's come back is, you know, you do so much already, don't overdo it. So it's, you know, not a, yes, you know, yes, that would be useful. Or there's a very much, there's a feeling very much here in this ward of, my belonging to the residents here. They champion me, they got me elected and they they do care about me and what happens to me. Uh, and that's what I need to keep focused on is my contract with them. Um, the other stuff, politics is just dirty. It's, you know, I wouldn't recommend it to anybody unless they've got a strong stomach for it because it's, people swap sides all the time and, you know, you don't have any real friends in it, I would say, but you don't go into it for that or don't go into it for that. So we'll just see. If it gets too unbearable as with anything, I'll just stop doing it. But so far, we're still here having this conversation. Do you think in 2026 or earlier, if, if we do change, would you expect them to put a candidate up against you? Oh, absolutely. And they should. They should. Uh, I get frustrated when people don't put up a full slate everywhere. I know for... Um, you know, sometimes it's difficult to afford to put candidates everywhere. But oh, I was very disappointed when people don't. I I was disappointed when UKIP didn't put up a candidate against me this time. The more the better, because residents will come out and vote when they feel they've got a choice. If it's a fait accompli in their minds, that's when we can get funny results. People not turning out to vote. So um, absolutely, I welcome it. Um, I don't know what life will be like in twenty twenty six. I'm imagining that's when my partner retires. So. I'm not sure I would stand again, but we'll have to see where we are uh, with that. But no, I, I I like a proper proper fight. I mean, when I stood in, the thing is, despite all I say, I am fiercely competitive. If I decide I'm going to do something, 
um you know I, I want to do it and i want to succeed at it, at it. and thing is with the um the success in 2018 um you know i it happens that I live here in Waterville because the incumbent who lost their seat and I gained the seat was a cabinet member at the time. I mean, that's a very audacious goal to set yourself, not only to try and be the first of your party to succeed, um, but to take down one of the, you know, most um, established councillors in the city. But I wasn't looking at it like that. I was looking at my goal there. Um, but no, I, I, I welcome it. I love that that part of it, you know, bring it on I want a proper competition and as many candidates as possible I'm always dismayed that there aren't it's a good, throughout the year you'll often when someone's fed up with you um, they'll, they'll say oh I'll stand as an independent I say, please do let's have more people on the ballot paper because that's got to be good for democracy which I really care about it never happens it's a shame it's, a, it's the same old time. but I don't like this thing of parties not standing or stepping aside for each other. I know why they do it, trying to get a progressive candidate in or whatever, but I think hard work, visibility, communication, residents will vote for you and then it's a clear decision. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm perfectly happy. I want them to. I'd be dismayed if they didn't and I'm pretty sure they're going to. <laughs> do you think you can achieve as much for the residents of this ward as an independent as you could as part of a, a party or a group? I think it depends on you as a person. Um, it's so different being an opposition candidate, uh, an opposition councillor, which is what we all are if we're not a Conservative, because Conservatives run um, the administration. Um, the way you get things done is through relationships with council officers and presenting cogent, sensible arguments at full council when you want to get motions through. So being good at being a councillor is how you're influential. Um, it was often said, you know, when I was first trying to get in, you know, don't vote for her because it's better when it's all three um, from the same party in a ward. And I'm not sure it is. What I quite like about the current situation, now I'm an independent, is that residents have got now two big forces fighting for them because I know how the Greens are fighting and I know how hard I'm fighting for them as well. So that's got to be a good thing. Um, and it is about building those relationships, which which does take time. So I don't know, I think you get a different answer from different people. It depends on your personality. For me, the challenge is to prove that I'm just as capable whether I've got a team behind me or by myself. Well, that is the challenge I face right now. Did you think about joining the Peterborough First Group? Think about it, yes. But, but well, not think about joining it. I thought about them and thought I'm not joining them. <laughs> um, no, that's, that's no offence to them. Um, the reason for that is because I felt my residents had had enough change. Change of surname is no small thing. Um, it's me that keeps forgetting it as well, not them. Um, and change of going independent is something else. And then to say I've joined another party as such, they say they're not political, but the thing is all of them are former Conservatives, well, or, you know, near enough. And so that's that would be joining a group. I know they're all independents and they all vote independently, but, and I get on well with all of them actually in that group. But I've been to a couple of full council um, meetings and I, I literally have nobody sitting to the left of me or to the right of me. And I like it. I've got space on my handbag on the bench. 
Um, it's like when I first joined the council, it was it was like that. And I'm my own person. I, I'm happy. I mean, I have had approaches from various parties. I don't feel it necessary to say who, um, but not, not the Greens asked me back. Um, <laughs> but... Um, no, I feel for my residents. If I were if I were to join another party, then I should stand in a by election, because that's too big a change, and that's not what our residents voted for. Why do you think the success that you've seen uh, with the Green Party here hasn't spread elsewhere in the in the city? It's really hard to get elected. It's really really hard. Um, the commitment that I put in, and I must say the commitment that Councillor Day put in as well, because I was managing her campaign and she did everything I asked of her and I asked a lot and she did all those things. Um, it's very hard to find people who are, can commit to that because they have families. Um, people, It's all about life stage. So, you know, the Greens were fortunate. They found me and we found each other at a particular point in my life where I was not doing anything, which is unusual. Um, and they just said the right words to me in the right order at the right time. And so it made it easy for me to say yes. And that was just really lucky. And I, I have um, quite a broad um, and very useful skill set. I mean, I've trained other members of the Green Party on um, skills, you know, speaking on the doorstep and, and, you know, confidence and all these sorts of things. I brought all that with me that they were able to benefit from. And I was able to utilise that. And also I felt really grateful that I, after a very difficult time uh, in my personal life, I was able to utilise my skills again in a very sort of a complex and meaningful way, which had a tangible end result. I am grateful to the Green Party for that and, um, and always will be. But that was just it was luck it was me being there and also a couple of green party people roger proudfoot being another um who was the coordinator at that time who was a massive champion of me he saw me immediately recognized who i was what i was and what i could do and did everything he could to get obstacles out of my way so I could focus on what I was doing and was a huge cheerleader for me. And you need that. So you need those things together. Um, and just having the right sort of person who's really experienced, you know, I'm very experienced with the media and that really helped. Uh, really experienced, uh, was with one of the best campaigning teams in the voluntary sector in the country at RNIB. I, I've got, you know, fantastic training with them. And so was able to um, utilise all of that. And, you know, can lightning strike twice? Well, I hope it will um, for the Greens, because let's say Councillor Day, you know, fantastic. Um, it's when they move into new wards, new areas where they're completely unknown. I feel they need to start again with somebody who is hardworking, visible, available, charismatic, likes people, is able to speak to residents in the right way because they understand what the right way is and find out what they want because it's not a question of copying what's happened here because this is a specific sort of a specific ward with a specific history you need to understand uh, people here the other thing you need and which was crucial to our um successful with the greens 
is to understand how complex the local area is. So in our ward, we have um, some of the most expensive houses in the city. We also have a lot of social housing. We have new builds, like new build estate where we're sitting at the moment and more established new build estates where a lot of the people who bought those new builds are now retired. And so it's very, very different. So what I did, and this was key to my success, so everyone listening can have this for free. I didn't do one newsletter, I did six. I did six versions of Wharton News, for one for each of the areas that I identified as being socioeconomically, geographically different. Because they have um, different interests, but also you speak to them in different ways. You use different kind of language, different tone of voice. So all my experience of working in publications um, came in useful. That is extremely hard work. I think it was unprecedented in the Green Party, let alone in the city. No one was telling me to do it. I just had a gut feeling that I don't talk to the people who live in Orton Wistow the same way I talk to the people who live in Orton Waterville Village. They may be right next to each other geographically, but by talking to them on the doorstep, I just know that this is these are different people uh, with different interests. Some shared, um, you know, when something happens at the showground, everyone wants to know about it. Um, but dividing it up like that, that was an absolute winner and it made people feel almost like I was talking to them at a street level. And when I, people are often shocked when I tell them how big the area is that I cover um, as a councillor. Um, and are often very shocked as different versions of Orton News or uh, you know, Orton Observer I do now. Orton News is the Green Party's um, leaflet. And I hope they'll continue to do it that way. And we had a, a situation where people were like swapping them. <laughs> uh, you know, you would get, oh, have you got the Wistow one? No, have you got the water and it, that was like, it was thrilling it, you know, to have created just that publication is a huge success all on its own, let alone that it led to the votes. But um, something people have said to me and said to me in the past and said to me since I went independent was, please keep that up because it's exactly what we want. And the reason it's what they want is I know that when you put a leaflet through someone's door, they need to be able to read it in the distance it takes them to get from their front door to their recycling bin without their glasses on. And that's the magic <laughs> that you need to, you know, in those few moments you need to get to people. And we just managed to do that really, really well. So I'm, I'm very proud of that. You said a few minutes ago that um, you wished more independents would stand in elections. Is that something that you feel that you'd have an interest in perhaps mentoring people if they wanted to to stand as an independent, giving them advice, coaching on how they could go about doing that? The trouble is, I think the political system is broken. It's clearly it's broken on national level. We're about to get a prime minister that nobody wants, either of the two choices, and that's the system. And it's the same at the local level. It's really, really broken. The system is broken. What we hear for as councillors... I do personally think it would be better if we were all independent because I think it would be better for residents because it's weird that you're in this sort of... There's what I do as, as a councillor like every day and then it all gets a bit weird when you go to town hall and suddenly you're in a group and have to behave in a certain way. Whether or not you've got a whip, there's still a certain expectation. You have to you know, follow the party line to um, a certain extent. And I think it's better when you've got... Um, kind of free will and that's where I do agree with with um, Councillor Fox and um, Peterborough first I do agree with them um, on that um, I think it would be better I mean whether or not there's a role for me mentor who would who would pay me there's no 
There's no mechanism. There should be. This is the problem I had in the Green Party. If the Green Party had any money, it could have employed me to do exactly that, to mentor people in how to win elections. Um, but it had no money. And so instead, although I was achieving all of this stuff locally, they never managed to translate it nationally. I know it's not just the Green Party with this problem. You've got So you've got somebody highly skilled and experienced in your party and you're not able to make the most of that to help forward the aims of your party, then that system's broken, I'm afraid. So sadly, I mean, I'm always, you know, willing to help people where I can, but, you know, how how are we going to survive? I mean, actually, I, you know, I can't do everything, can't do all these things. If there was a, a business model that somehow made that work, you know, then of course, but at the end of the day, I've got to pay my council tax just as everybody else in the city does. So it's a difficult one. So have you had a, a local millionaire come to you and say, I'd like you to set up a Peterborough independence group. I'll give you X amount of money. And for the next year, you can spend it finding people, giving them the skills that they need with the intention of trying to get them elected in, in 2023. That would that would have an interest for you, but it just. It's, I would consider it. The thing is, I've worked with a lot of millionaires, and you don't. That's not as good. You know, it's not as good as you're pitching it. I can tell you, um, because millionaires, entrepreneurs, you know, they are a specific sort of person. They have specific ideas about why they want to do that. But you know, traditionally, more broadly, if the funding came in from somewhere, let's say it came in from somewhere a bit more palatable, like the government. Oops, well, maybe. That's- but you know it's, it's difficult how things are funded is very complicated because there's always um back when i worked at rnib we had these struggles all the time about where do you accept money from do you accept money from um companies that um make tobacco products that contribute to people losing their sight for example oh it's an ethical minefield a moral maze it, it really is so these things if they were that simple, we'd be doing them already. That's the thing. If it was that straightforward and, you know, your millionaire would need to be a social entrepreneur who would have a particular perspective, which wasn't to try and achieve a particular political goal. Uh, it's, it's difficult. <laughs> well, no such person's come forward so far. So, so I don't know. And I'm afraid, you know, I'm not trying to get out of answering that question. It's just it's that complicated. What would that person be like, you know? What would their expectation be of me? On in principle, you know, I, anything I could do to help the people of Peterborough, of course, I'm on board for it. Bearing in mind, I, I need to keep a roof over our heads um, as well, particularly as my husband's getting closer to retirement age. And those are the realities, unfortunately. And also, getting older, as I say, more tired. And you know, this is a young person's game to, uh, to an extent because it does need a lot of energy. But never say never. My door's always open if anyone's listening and wants to make an approach that I'll have all of regret. <laughs> and that's it for part one. Thanks so much for listening and thanks to Councillor Stevenson for joining us. You can follow her on Twitter at S. Part two of our conversation will be released into your feeds on Friday 12th of August so do make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at PoliticsPBORO. Please let us know what you thought of the episode. We also have a Politics of Peterborough discussion group on Facebook where you can discuss and debate any of the topics raised in this episode with our listeners. 
If you have any suggestions as to who you'd like to hear on the show or any questions you'd like us to put to our guests, you can email us at politics.peterborough at hotmail.com. The Politics of Peterborough was created, hosted and edited by me. Production and audio recording by Darren Church. We'll see you next time.